I'm Gabriela Fresquez, and this is Radar 2021. February is Black History Month, an opportunity to celebrate the impact of black culture, as well as black leaders who paved the way for a racial justice movement in the U.S., one that's unfortunately been on back order since around um, 1968. I mean, it's only been 55 years since black Americans were allowed to vote in all 50 states. That's how long Viola Davis has been alive, how old the movie Batman is, and uh, the age J-Lo will be when bartenders finally stop checking her ID. And if you're not sure how best to honor the legacy of black achievements in this country, the NAACP and other activists have suggestions of their own. I believe it's important um, to honor uh, black history through activism because we're kind of continuing the work, you know, that paved the way for us to even be here. And when I'm, what, what I mean by that is for us to be able to afford the freedoms that we have now. The fact that we're not segregated, the fact that Black people could vote, although some are still disenfranchised. There's so many freedoms that our ancestors fought for that when you get to this movement and you and your feet is planted, and you're in a position to where you can make change, you have to honor the memory and you have to honor the freedom that you have. African-Americans and Latinx Americans make up 32% of the U.S. population, but somehow make up 56% of the incarcerated population. That's why criminal justice reform advocates have put mass incarceration at the forefront of a movement for racial justice in America. And celebrities like Ava DuVernay, Jay-Z, Meek Mill, and Kim Kardashian have helped bring more attention to the issue. Jay-Z and Meek Mill helped launch Reform Alliance in an effort to get at least a million people out of jail over the next five years. To help change a broken system, Meek and Jay are founders of the Reform Alliance. Our Reform Foundation is uh, specifically tackling probation and parole because, you know, that's a big part of the system. And he has some kind words for another high-profile name fighting for prison reform, Kim Kardashian. Big ups to her and big ups to everybody that's working for a better cause. But the way we talk about criminal justice reform in this country has changed dramatically over the last few decades. Back in the 90s, the political rhetoric was all about getting tough on crime, mandatory minimums, and three strikes laws. Today, we're still talking about criminal justice, but it's mostly in terms of police reform. And the conversation is still evolving. But policing is just one of three main components of our criminal justice system. There's also our correction system, which describes how and where people get incarcerated, and the judicial system, which determines who gets incarcerated and for how long. The U.S. accounts for nearly a quarter of the world's prisoners, even though we represent just 5% of the world population. That means we put more people in prison than any other country in the world, including China, whose population is more than three times the size of the U.S. His longest-serving nonviolent marijuana offender has been released from prison, Richard Delsey. In 1989, he was sentenced to 90 years in prison for marijuana trafficking. A Louisa County man was charged with having marijuana, even though he legally bought a CBD product at a store in Charlottesville. His specific words was, it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's a duck. And clearly, not all drug offenses are related to marijuana, which, by the way, is mostly legal in 35 states. In fact, we did an entire episode on weed laws just last season, Raider 2020, Episode 7, check it out. So yeah, once again, the country is facing a drug epidemic, knowing full well that a war on drugs that's solely punitive doesn't do much for advancing society. 
So when did we take a detour from rehabilitation and toward incarceration? I would say, in fairness, the last 30 to 40 years, it's been a system of punishment uh, that's de-emphasized rehabilitation. As prisons have become more punitive, um, they become crueler, they become harsher, they become traumatic places for people to live in. And that trauma is something that people will take with them once they're released. Over one million drug possession arrests are made each year many of which result in prison sentences and eventually lead to over-policing in certain communities. And a single drug offense conviction could result in a criminal record, which can eventually lead to longer sentences for any future offenses, essentially creating a domino effect that feeds into an unsustainable system. Sentencing targets those in lower income communities, which are usually populated by minorities such as black and Latinos. Those areas are more heavily populated with police. They're more crime ridden because they're low income. So there's more arrest. And then the defendants get to sentencing. Unfortunately, judges, sometimes their hands are tied because of minimum mandatory sentences and they have to sentence people to 10 years. And there's empirical evidence that minorities such as Black and Latinos are usually sentenced to more time than a person that is not of color uh, put before the the same judge. Um, So there needs to be some effort to kind of equalize that process. Sentencing laws like mandatory minimums have contributed to an 800% increase in the federal prison population in the last three decades. Even the American Bar Association believes that significant sentencing reform is needed especially when more than two-thirds of federal prisoners are serving a life sentence or a virtual life sentence for nonviolent crimes. And studies show that, in many cases, longer sentences actually don't reduce crime. If anything, they contribute to it. If somebody's been in an environment like that for a long period of time, they have to figure out, sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously, how to adapt and survive in that kind of an environment. Long-term imprisonment really presents people with a number of adjustment challenges uh, when they return to society. And without assistance, um, without transition programs and then assistance once they return to the community, many people find it very, very difficult to readjust to free society. Not only are longer sentences counterproductive, but they have a disproportionate impact on low-income communities of color. They're also a financial drain on society as a whole. But there are always exceptions to harsh judicial punishment. Well, I was, uh, I was uh, elated, obviously. I was somewhat relieved, but I was not surprised. Aside from these exceptions, the U.S. spends more than $80 billion each year to keep roughly 2.3 million people behind bars. That's like if we put the entire population of Slovenia in jail. And annual prison costs more than double when you include things like legal fees, health care, policing, and additional costs to prisoners and their loved ones, bringing that number to over $182 billion per year. That's more than global box office revenue in 2019 pre-COVID. Just saying. It's a lucrative industry. Prisons in the U.S. have grown 500% in the last 40 years. And more than 4,000 companies have profited from this boom in mass incarceration. From telecommunications companies upcharging for phone calls to loved ones, to commissary merchants and food suppliers, among others, to companies who use prison labor. The vast majority of prison inmates are kept in public prisons, which are funded through our tax dollars, while privately run prisons hold just under 10% of the country's prison population. And among the biggest players are these two, GeoGroup and CoreCivic. 
Both companies have established political action committees that donate heavily to Republican candidates. You can even buy stocks in private prisons. They've diversified their portfolios to include private immigration detention. Though President Biden has issued an executive order that halts federal government contracts with private prisons in an effort to address racial inequality, that decision hasn't extended to immigrant detention. Nor will it end mass incarceration in the U.S., meaning there's still a long road ahead for those who want comprehensive prison reform. But mandatory minimums that led to mass incarceration didn't result from the federal, state, and local court systems getting together and agreeing on the best, most ethical solution. The orders came from the top down, from the feds to the states. And unlike trickle-down economics, this actually impacted the entire country. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. It's time to get these hardened criminals off the street and into jail. I urge the Congress to act promptly and favorably on these major initiatives against lawlessness in America. Every moment wasted is a moment lost in the war against crime. We need more prisons, more jails, more courts, more prosecutors. We will cut the federal workforce over a period of years. The savings will be used to put a 100,000 police officers on the street, a 20% increase. It will be used to build prisons to keep 100,000 violent criminals off the street. For years, Congress attempted to pass legislation around criminal justice reform. And in 2015, it finally seemed possible, thanks to overwhelming bipartisan support for the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act. That is, until Senator Jeff Sessions and his buddies killed it. Hailing from the House of Slytherin, Sessions enthusiastically embraced the goal of growing the prison population and pledged to pursue longer sentences after being appointed the nation's attorney general and resident criminal justice anti-reformer. Uh, we, we say you should normally go after the criminals with the most serious offense they committed, and they, if that carries a mandatory minimum, that's why Congress passed it. Uh, why else did they put the darn thing in the law? He tried to stick to the kind of hardline law and order message that bolstered the candidacy of Donald Trump, which made political sense, I guess, except that not even Trump sided with him in the end. Because in 2018, Congress and Trump passed the First Step Act, a move to implement meaningful sentencing reform. But the law is by no means a catch-all response to much-needed reforms. It's Really more of like a baby First Step Act? We have started that, uh, we'll call it phase two, but it's already begun. And this is first step, but uh, there's going to be a second and a third and possibly a fourth. We'll see how it all works out. Only there was no second, third or fourth step ever taken or even publicly discussed in any kind of detail. I can't help but think of Ava DuVernay's Netflix film, 13th, where the idea of mass incarceration is talked about as an extension of slavery, using the loophole of prison labor to continue the centuries-old tradition of nearly free labor, paying prisoners around $2 a day to manufacture goods for companies like Walmart, Victoria's Secrets, and Starbucks. And I don't know, I just feel like the whole prison labor thing really takes the thrill out of my $8 mocha frappuccino. I always encourage people uh, when starting to look at the criminal justice system to imagine, right, what it would be like if it was your son or your daughter 
or your mother or father who was incarcerated, how would you want them to be treated, right? My name is Desmond Mead. I am a returning citizen and I experienced a lot of hardship, you know, homelessness, uh, drug addiction. I was able to turn my life around and eventually uh, get accepted into law school and, and graduating. In spite of everything that I was able to overcome and the successes that I've made, you know, I still cannot practice law in the state of Florida. There are occupational barriers uh, that uh, returning citizens uh, face, uh, as well as educational barriers, you know, and uh, economic barriers, you know, whether it's in employment, whether it's in uh, purchasing a home. My hopes is that our country would start to shift the narrative, right? Understanding that it is imperative for us to to approach the criminal justice system and fixing the uh, criminal justice system uh, with the mindset that in spite of the fact that I might have been convicted of a crime, that I still should be treated humanely. But critics who would want to see meaningful reform, something beyond executive actions that could someday be overturned, likely remain skeptical of a Biden-Harris administration, given that both Harris's prosecutorial record and Biden's legislative past are full of contradictions when it comes to criminal justice issues. But the truth is, most policing is done at the local level. Illinois, for example, just passed a massive criminal justice reform bill that does things like abolish cash bail and ensures arrestees are granted three phone calls, which are both good things. But Illinois leads the nation in exonerations due to widespread corruption and where black inmates make up more than half the prison population despite making up less than 15% of the state population. So yeah. It was about time they addressed the disproportionately sized elephant in the prison cell. It really does reimagine how we look at government. Significant changes to the law include elimination of cash bail, modernizing sentencing laws, new police training policies, requiring body cameras, and reforming the crowd control response. If enacted at every state level, these reforms could reduce the total U.S. prison population by 40%, according to the Brennan Center for Justice potentially saving taxpayers tens of billions of dollars each year. And on the federal level, Biden and Harris have both moved toward a much more progressive approach to criminal justice reform. That's why I proposed a comprehensive criminal package in this campaign. And while President Biden has the unilateral power to make good on some of his campaign promises, like reducing the sentences of nonviolent drug offenders or ordering the Justice Department to let contracts of private prisons expire, his vision for complete criminal justice reform will require support from Congress to achieve things like ending cash bail, mandatory minimums, and the death penalty, as well as setting aside $1 billion per year to invest in juvenile justice reform to help reduce the number of incarcerated minors, or giving more money to police to fuel reform. I believe this nation and this government need to change their whole approach to the issue of racial equity. Yes. We need criminal justice reform, but that isn't nearly enough. We'll see if those who actually write the laws agree and bring his agenda to life. As we celebrate Black History this month, the legacy of Rosa Parks reminds us that in this country, people of color don't necessarily have to be a threat to society to be arrested. Sometimes demanding to be treated with basic human dignity is more than enough. I felt that when he used the word, y'all make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. 
that I could not see where it was helping me as an individual and as a passenger or us as a people to continue to give into this type of uh, treatment. And I felt that as long as we did uh, give in, it meant that they could say that we were satisfied with that type of treatment and I didn't want it to be known that I as a human being was satisfied with being treated in such a manner. Maybe the best way to honor today's racial justice activists is to not limit our attention to these issues to just 28 days out of the year. Or maybe instead of hemorrhaging tax dollars into a system that's not only ineffective but disproportionately targets low-income people of color, we could invest in public education or community outreach, investments that actually reduce crime. For the same cost to keep one person in prison per year, we could send three people to public college, tuition-free. Where mandatory minimums and earned credits take on a whole different kind of meaning. I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021. See you next week. Thanks for watching Radar 2021. Please like, subscribe, and comment down below and let us know what issues are important to you. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of issues to choose from. <laughs> So, so many.